Tuk Kung Tour. This is the first episode in a series of podcasts where we will be talking about swimming pools and in particular how important they are to us. There are a lot of technical podcasts out there about how to look after your pool but we wanted to focus on the human element and about lifting the profile of pools in the UK. I am Rebecca Witt director of Blue Pools Limited, which is a swimming pool design company. And my co-host for this series is Mike Schaff, Managing Director of the Palm Academy, which stands for Physical Activity and Leisure Management. Today, Mike and I are going to be talking about the importance of pool plant training in commercial pools. Mike, Training is often discussed, but what is meant by the value of training? Who gets the value out of it? Well, we all know that training is a requirement under the law. It's the employer's responsibility to ensure that all staff are given training, information and supervision in order to carry out their duties correctly and, most importantly, to carry them out safely. In fact, and I quote, the management of health and safety at work regs 1992 state that employers are to provide clear information and training to employees in the findings of assessment of risks. Obviously, that's got a great impact on safe working practices, etc. Yeah, exactly. Nevertheless, we feel that training should aim to have people leave a session saying that it was great, really useful, perhaps even inspiring, and not just, well, that's done let's get back to work then. You see, if it's just a case of following a book or a screen, that will tell people how to do the the what part of the job. If that's the case, then why not just give people a book and a reading list then and tell them to go away and read and get on with it? Good training is about not just about the what to do, but explaining the why and the how to do it. Okay. Now, you asked who gets the benefit. Well, it should be everybody. The employer with a more committed workforce that can work with less supervision, the employee who will feel more trusted and therefore gains more job satisfaction. Now, this might sound just like sound bites. Well, in fact, you only need one person to be inspired in the workplace And that can rub off onto lots of other employees. Does that sound a bit cheesy, Rebecca? No, no, it doesn't at all. Um, I've seen firsthand how um, if you've got one employee or even, um, you know, a manager um, who's inspired to do the work correctly and get it done right, um, how that trickles down through the workforce and how that, you know, inspiration can be infectious. Mike, is training the same as a qualification and which, if either, is a legal requirement? Good question, Rebecca. Well, as I've I've said before, training is required under the Management of Health and Safety at Work Regs, but a qualification isn't. Nevertheless, there's a lot of employers out there that that associate training as a qualification. Mm -hmm. A qualification is a demonstration of a person's knowledge and understanding. Whether that demonstration comes from a written test, an examination, a piece of observed practical work, it is still nevertheless a demonstration of how a task should be done. And it should show a level of understanding of why it should be done. Hopefully, the demonstration will show a variety of safety measures, both for the operator and for others uh, in, in certain situations. 
So where does the law come into this? On too many occasions, too many occasions, the law and investigations only happen when something has gone wrong. And then, even then, it's usually only if something really badly goes wrong. Yeah. Training is one of the first questions that would be asked in any investigation because there could be perhaps the more unscrupulous employee that when being faced with blame might want to say, well, nobody told me. So having good training records are therefore essential. So okay. it's not just the training that's important. It's actually the fact that the training is recorded. So a qualification is a, a record of training having happened. Having happened, ex exactly. So we can have three pillars, if you like, of, of training. First of all, there should be the training plan. Now, that would outline the training that should be taken by the employee and provided by the employer. Now, sometimes these can be time limited from when somebody starts their employment. It could be that training must take, be taken within the first week. It could be sometimes that uh, training should be given and received within the first week, the first month, the first six months, 12 months, etc., whatever. Okay. The training record, though, that will record whether the plan has been met or not. And this is where qualifications will also be listed. But work records, the third pillar, these would show that the tasks were being carried out in accordance with the training that had been given. Okay. Now, in law and in any investigation, Rebecca, it would be very unusual for a qualification or the, um, the, the awarding body to be questioned because the law would rightly assume that the training or qualification wouldn't meet the legal requirements as well as the various codes of practices, etc., set by that particular industry. So it's quite straightforward, therefore, to see that the depth of knowledge and understanding that's been demonstrated during the training and awarding of the qualification should also be shown in the workplace. If there's significant discrepancies between the two, then the investigation is likely to go deeper because naturally an investigator will feel that any variation from the training could be manifested elsewhere in the operation. As an example, uh, even within our own industry, if, um, if a task should be carried out every two hours, and that was uh, demonstrated in the training, in the qualification, uh, and that can be shown to an investigator, and yet the operator only carries out that task every four hours, okay, then that is going to cause the investigator to go deeper into the investigation because they would think, well, what else aren't they doing? They've had the training. That's the industry's code of practice. That's the industry's best, best practice, but they're not doing it. Yeah. Let me ask you then, Rebecca, talk about records. Can records be kept electronically or do they have to be paper-based? Well, correctly if I'm wrong, Mike, but they have to be kept electronically for five years. They don't have to be paper-based. Um, I think nowadays it's much safer to keep them electronically than it is on paper because, you know, paper can be destroyed in, in um, much easier than having something saved onto a computer. Um, but then that... that um, what's online then would have to be looked after and made available to anyone who can, who needs to see it. Yeah. I think most 
uh, most employers and most organizations have pretty secure um, safety measures to keep yeah. electronic um, um, material. Yeah. Uh, they have to do that to uh, comply with the general data protection regs anyway. But yes, that training record has to be kept. Um, more and more now it's being kept electronically. So it might be okay quite, you, yeah. when, um, when delegates do these, um, uh, they do their water tests and then they usually it's written down on a piece of paper in the plant room. Um, a lot of the time, I think nowadays, that's then being uploaded to a computer once a week or, or every day. Um, that's more, you know, it's, it's a lot of responsibility for the people who are doing this. So what would you say to someone who, um, you know, who, who wants to look after a pool, etc., but it's a little bit scary having all this responsibility all of a sudden? There's lots of material around um, electronic, um, paper-based manuals. There's a lot of information which can be gained uh, from organizations such as PewTag, the technical notes, etc., which is there to help people. Uh, nearly all, all information these days are free to download. It's just a case of making sure that you've, you've got that information. The good operators will have that information to hand and they will make sure that their stuff uh, receive it on a regular basis. Mm. There are obviously, though, there are weaknesses in any system because it's still reliant upon the employer and the employee to access that information rather than just go blindly uh, onwards. We've been doing this job 20 years, never been a problem. Why should we bother changing now? Mm. Well, the reason why you need to have that information is it answers the what if question. What if something goes wrong? Yeah. And like you always say, it's not a problem until there's a problem. Do I say that? Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but it is true though, isn't it? Yeah. You see, you see, the operation of a swimming pool uh, and the provision of a swimming pool uh, is not what's known as a mandatory function. There's no there's no legal requirement for anybody to provide a swimming pool anywhere. So that means that there's no mandatory inspection like there would be if you were. Um, running a, a restaurant, a fast food outlet, whatever. Yeah. So you know you won't you won't um, get a regular visit from, say, an environmental health officer. Um, the industry does expect you to be self-monitoring, and the only time that the authorities would normally be involved is when something goes wrong. Mm, yeah. So, Mike. Does a qualification make a person competent? You're asking some very good questions, Rebecca. Well, competent. Uh, well, not normally. Recognizing competence is the role of the employer. Uh, an employee will be sent away uh, or undertake training on site. But that can be anything from a couple of hours to a couple of days. A person can only be competent when she or he can carry out the task correctly and importantly, without supervision. Mm, yes. If a member of staff has got to be supervised all the time, then quite frankly, the person supervising might as well do the job themselves and 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 save and and save the the time for uh, from from two people. Yeah. The employer has therefore to give the employee the opportunity to practice the skills or use the information that's given during training. There's quite a few ways of developing competence, Rebecca. The 
newly qualified employee can shadow an experienced operator for a while. When they feel a bit more confident, they can allow that experienced operator to shadow them, look at what they're doing. They can work in pairs, so one can uh, observe the other. And just general observation over a period of time. Um, so let me ask you, Rebecca, would you feel competent if you came away from a training course, especially if it's a completely new subject for you, and then have to carry out that task straight away? No. Um, and I think it, part of that is that you are, you, you know, you go on a training course and you are taught various, you know, various things, whatever subject it's in. Um, for example, if bringing it to our industry, you're taught how to take a water test, for example. Um, you gain confidence by practicing the skill. And I think the more you practice, the more you gain confidence and therefore competence. I think they go competence and confidence go hand in hand. How can an employer be assured that training is good enough, that it's valid, current and relevant to the, the delegates that they're going to be sending on the course? Okay, then. Well, most training and the, and the content of qualifications have to be in accord with the law and or the specific industry guidance and recommendations, etc. And it's the health and safety executive, the HSE, which would usually acknowledge that expertise given by the industry. Uh, there's an example of this in HSG 179. Mm -hmm. And uh, even on the uh, HSE website, if I can quote, approved codes of practice offer practical examples of good practice. I must admit, they're not very good with their language, are they? But we know what they mean. They give advice on how to comply with the law, for example, by providing a guide to what is reasonably practicable, that horrible phrase. For example, if regulations use words like suitable and sufficient, an approved code of practice can illustrate what this requires in particular circumstances. Approved codes of practice have to have a special legal status. If employers are prosecuted for a breach of health and safety law, and it is proved that they have not followed the relevant provisions of the approved code of practice, a court can find them at fault unless they can show that they have complied with the law in some other way. Now, that's, that's an important point, Rebecca. If, the, if something goes wrong and the employer uh, is proven not to have followed the industry's codes of practice, mm -hmm. a court will use that to find them at fault. Unless, of course, they can show that they've uh, complied with the law in, in some other way. Now, way back in 1995, um, the Health and Safety Executive, the, sorry, the Health and Safety Commission, the HSC, they consulted on the role of approved code of practice uh, within the health and safety system. And it was concluded that they could still be used in support of legal duties in specific circumstances. So, Getting back now to whether it's valid, current, and relevant, it's the codes of practice and the various recommendations which keep an industry up to date. Now, to keep that knowledge valid and current, as you say, for the employee, this usually means that the qualification has to be refreshed in some way or other. Uh, the qualification can never be lost or removed. Uh, I've still got my 11 plus and my 25-yard breaststroke certificates, 
Even when I did have even even when I did have one foot on the floor, um, but the information given within the qualification can become outdated, or at the moment a lot of new knowledge is being added. Therefore, that new information has to be passed on, adapted, absorbed, in order to keep one's knowledge up to date. Mm. Now, this is what's referred to as continuing professional development yeah. (CPD) programs. Now, Re Rebecca, you've got a university degree. I know that. So do you have to renew that if you need it for your work? No. And quite rightly, because it was three years long. Um, imagine if they had to do an update seminar on a three year long degree and you had to go back every, you know, every five years or whatever to do it again when it expires. Um, seriously, though, uh, no. You aren't required to redo the degree, but there are professions uh, like chemists, architects, accountants, etc., that do require employers to keep, sorry, employees to keep their knowledge up to date. Is the role of the trainer then just to deliver a qualification? Oh, I don't think so, no. Uh, a training course and its manual provides the overall theory even though it should cover most eventualities. However, very often, a delegate will ask questions about their own installation or their own operation, um, and that would be during a, during a training course. Everybody wants to know about their own place. It is then that they come back to the trainer and they expect them to give that advice, which can then be perceived as being given on behalf of the industry, in other words, expert advice. The trainer might be the only person that they have any contact with as a representative of the industry as a whole. So the initial training must be delivered in a very professional and understandable format that, delegate, that the delegates can relate to, obviously. And that means that the trainer will often be the person that employers and operators will go back to for advice and support. For instance, if they're considering changes to the operation, refurbishments, new builds, new equipment, uh, etc., knowing that they'll, they should be given an unbiased and independent opinion. So to answer your question then, Rebecca, it's essential that the trainer is close to the industry body and also has significant amount of operational experience. Mm -hmm. Now, you've de delivered training for years, Rebecca. Do you have any clients or have you had clients that come back to you asking for further advice simply because they trust your judgment and your opinion? Uh, yes, yes, they do very often. Um, mostly um, to do with questions that, that the, the the manual and the, um, the you know the training doesn't provide as a you know as basic understanding of the of their pool. Um, and often when things you know when things go wrong or something's not quite how how it should be, then they'll ask me how you know how how do we get around this because it's not. You know, we don't comply because it's been built in a certain way. I mean, there's nothing that an operator can do to get around something if, if the pool's been built a certain way. That, that's not something they can change very easily. Um, I've also been asked to um, help with safety documents, um, advise on refurbishment of, um, you know, pools that are coming to the end of their life or getting very tired. Um, so, yes, yes, very much so. And is that, is that just based upon the fact that you, you've been their trainer maybe some years ago uh, and they just understand and trust you from the training that was given, first of all? Well, I would hope so, yes. Um, and I think 
I, th I think it's also the fact that, you know, they go away, they, 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 they've done the training course, they um, practiced everything that, that I've shown them and taught them. Um, and then later on down the line, you know, something goes wrong or something changes and they have to make a change to their operation. And I think nowadays it's very, it's, it's very easy to go on Google and other search engines are available um, to go online and search for, you know, what, you know, what happens when this, when, when this happens and you end up with a plethora of things online that some of it makes sense. Some of it doesn't, some of it's good advice, some of it's bad advice, but it's very difficult to, see the wood for the trees sometimes so then they think well who can I phone or who can I email who who can give me unbiased advice and often that you know that comes back to a, the trainer who's delivered a qualification whether you know whether it's six months ago or, or four years ago thank you Mike and to our listeners out there thank you too We'd love to hear from you if you've got any questions for Mike about today's episode on pool plant training or you want to add anything or leave comments, then please contact us. Our email address is pooltalkuk at outlook.com and you can also find us on Facebook, so leave us a message, ask your questions. Episodes of Pool Talk will be released every Tuesday morning. Thanks very much. Until next time, bye-bye.